Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 116, my friends. Today we're talking with Jesh Derox, uh, J-E-S-H space D-E space R-O-X as in Xerox. <laughs> Jesh, thank you for an excellent, excellent interview. Now, okay, we went very deep today on a lot of topics, uh, a lot of very philosophical things related to human emotion and especially meditation. And I know we've talked a lot about meditation recently. Uh, we've had several guests for everyone from you know medical professionals to uh, authors of various sorts and folks who have other uh, you know organizations and just things they do related to self-help. And the consensus generally tends to be in agreement that meditation is a very, very valuable resource for all of us. It's a simple thing we can get in our head, you know, straighten things out uh, in various ways through meditating. There's various forms of doing it. He has a website called kindred.com. Now, that's kindred, uh, just like it sounds, K-I-N-D-R-E-D, but there's a dash between every letter, which I thought was kind of cute and poetic because it's kind of showing and... uh, emphasizing the connection. (laughs) And that's a lot of what he talks about. Some of what we talked about is that emotions are inherently communal, which is a point he made. Uh, He talked about uh, finding the ingredients to create beautiful moments, which he did as a photographer, and he developed this whole system surrounding that that uh, helps people uh, to actually be real, not these fake smiles in photography. And we talk all about that. I could get into all kinds of stuff here. I won't do it justice, so you're just going to have to listen to the interview. And I, I'm guessing that's why you started listening to this episode. So I hope that you go ahead and do that. Uh, before we jump into that real fast, I want to remind you, you are absolutely priceless. Nothing can change that. And uh, you're never alone. And as everyone's going through some things right now, there's this weird thing in this world tied to this pandemic, uh, this a virus which is smaller than any of us can see is making massive impacts in our global society. People are suffering in various ways. People's life plans have changed. People's careers have been altered in various ways, whether it's a job loss or, you know, a lot of the folks we talk to are public speakers and other things where there's events that they're used to being a part of. And whatever you're used to doing, uh, you know, my heartfelt hugs and uh, whatever we need to impart to each other related to all this because we're kind of in, an, in a need for some comfort, I think, for a lot of us. So just remember, if you're feeling down, reach out, info at empowerhumans.com, at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter, and of course, friends, family, neighbors, whatever your situation is, uh, co-workers, there's lots of folks out there willing and wanting to help, and I think it's in our nature as people, which is part of why I do this podcast, to lift each other. So uh, moving along here, our challenges study, keep studying, start studying. I continue to work on this audio book, listening to Russell Brunson with Traffic Secrets and some other books. I've listened to various spiritual things recently as well and uh, been just reading and things galore. There's just something we got to do to keep our minds sharp. I talk a lot about our my great aunt Eleanor, a person that we love, who's now going to be 101 in this October, and uh, just had a chance to talk to her just yesterday. Uh, we just had a very lengthy conversation, and I sit there kind of want to pinch myself. I'm talking to somebody who's 100 years old, <laughs> and just think about all the things that she's experienced in her life. And I don't know who that person might be in your world, or maybe someone you've looked up to. A lot, you know, a fair amount of people are living to be 100 plus these days. 
But just the fact that I get to sit and talk to someone, I'll be 40 this month. I'm still less than half her age. She was 60 when I was born, turning 60 that year. So anyway, I don't want to jump too much around, but that's one of the reasons she she has stayed sharp. Excuse me. And uh, moving along to our next challenge, make great moments. My son had a birthday. As I record this, today is August 8th. And his birthday is 88. Uh, he was born in 09, though, 8809. <laughs> the year before that was the Beijing Olympics, 8808 started uh, those Olympics. And uh, But we had a beautiful birthday celebration, got to spend some time together, got to watch uh, a movie together and uh, have some friends over. No big shindig necessarily, but uh, very bonding moments. And I sit there pinching myself, too, thinking I'm going to look back in 10 plus years, maybe even a month, and wish, boy, they're they're already bigger and i look at my son being 11 and thinking oh my goodness gracious he's getting like teenager legs already <laughs> i started to realize that in the last couple of weeks isn't that funny for those of you who are parents you start to just all of a sudden you it just occurs to you oh wow he's got teenager legs or boy he's or she or just about as tall as me or it's just an interesting process this parenting thing the last challenge is let's keep doing this podcast together I promise you're going to get a lot out of this interview. It's going to be different than a lot of the things we've talked about. And I will say, too, before we jump in, after the interview, he and I did a Zoom uh, meditation together, and he does it in a very unique style. I thought it was beautiful, and uh, we kind of were mirroring each other's uh, movements and things as well. I'm not going to get into too much depth. You can go to kindred.com with a dash between all the letters, kindred.com, and learn more about that, and you might be able to do that with him or others as well. Uh beautiful thing. And it brought me to this beautiful high place uh, doing that with him. And uh, from London to Las Vegas, we got to share that moment. I love the technology, the way we can connect these days. You can tell I'm excited about this episode. So without further ado, my friends, let's jump into our interview with Jesh DeRox. Here we go. We are privileged here today to welcome Jesh DeRox, who is a meditation expert, uh, author, podcast host, uh, four podcasts, right, Jesh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then we get to have you today as a privilege on our podcast. Uh, coming you. to us today from London, right? Yes, sir. London. How long have you been in London? Just a couple of weeks, actually. Oh, you don't sound like you're from there, but you know, I don't want to judge. Definitely not. <laughs> no, I was born in Indianapolis, actually, but oh. spent a lot of my life as a child kind of traveling back and forth between United States and Canada, and I'm a dual citizen. So yeah, uh, that's kind of been my home base, but mm -hmm. my work takes me all around the world quite a lot. Wow. Indianapolis, are you a racing fan? <laughs> uh, not of cars. <laughs> not of cars? Well, of what then? Skateboards? Well, I mean, the whole, whole life situation is, seems like kind of a race. Yeah. I can tell we're going to get river. deep today. <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> Thank you. You're right. You're right. Well, let's talk about that. I want to get into some of your background and stuff too. In fact, let's do that okay. first and we'll talk about how life is a race and the river and these symbols okay. and meditation. We've talked a lot about meditation in all kinds of ways lately, but maybe we could take a deep dive today. Uh, but tell me about your background, this growing up in Indianapolis, uh, whatever, whatever you want to tell me about your family too. I don't know if you have siblings and what of all of that experience fed into bringing you to this, this place where sure. you're doing all these beautiful things. I think probably the most formative 
aspect of my childhood experience was uh, an incredible amount of isolation. So I'm 39 now, and about six years ago, after a relationship that meant a lot to me dissolved, I went to see a therapist and started checking that whole situation out. And it's in Los Angeles at the time. And Los Angeles is kind of the mecca of therapy. Sure. <laughs> and I, I got that. a got a really amazing one. I was very lucky to get a very amazing therapist who's been doing it for like 40 years. And after I kind of told her my story, she said, Josh, in 40 years of doing this, I have never heard of a child who grew up as isolated as you did. And mm. I started crying. <laughs> it's like explained so much of what happened to me because when you're going through something as a child, it's an unusual experience. You don't really know that it's unusual because that's just your life. And the isolation was for a couple of different reasons. Firstly, my parents were just very nomadic and they were part of a spiritual community that uh, had really beautiful things about it. But like most spiritual communities was kind of exclusionist in a certain way. And so we were isolated on one level because uh, we were being you know, we were kind of a part of that community and then we we're isolated on another level because that community was in Canada and we were not Canadians at the time. Mm -hmm. And my family uh, was, was pretty poor. So uh, Canada doesn't let in poor people very easily, you know, unless it's like a refugee situation because it's a socialist system. And so it took us 18 years to get immigrated. So we, I think they just got tired of us applying and finally realized mm. it's costing them more money to deal with all of our applications than to just let us in. So I spent my entire childhood uh, going back and forth from home to home. A lot of it was in a car uh, with this grand mission of getting to Canada one day, which was my dad's dream. Mm. And as a result of that, um, I didn't really have very many friends at all growing up. And by the time we kind of did land in a place where there was enough people around like that, I had already been so isolated from the culture that um, I was weird. I was really weird and I didn't fit in. And mm -hmm. so as a result of that, uh, I believe it's, it's likely that I hyperdeveloped empathy kind of as a coping strategy because connection is one of the core human needs biologically. We're just, completely wired for that I could talk a long long time about why but it's a it's a deep need and when you don't get enough of that you know one of the responses is basically just to become obsessed with it and that's what happened to me i ended up being able to feel people's feelings a lot more than most because i was kind of starving for them and mm. probably already had a genetic predisposition towards being empathic because both of my parents are pretty sensitive people, but it was really, really heightened by that situation. So by the time I was in my early twenties, I was completely obsessed with human interaction and human connection. And I saw it from a very strange point of view because I didn't take it for granted like most people do. And as a result of that, I mean, it's a really long story, but the short version is I became a photographer. And as a photographer, you basically get to stare at people. 
and it's okay. <laughs> it's basically the yeah. only socially acceptable way to just get to look at people without them getting upset at you. And it wasn't just <laughs> them in any kind of moment. It was them in pretty unusual connective moments, a lot of family rituals like weddings and, mm-hmm. you know, family reunions and birthday mm-hmm. parties. And, and those places are like emotion festivals. <laughs> There's emotions flying everywhere. So for me, feeling all of that was just incredible. It was like being in a garden of emotions. And I um, basically had the, the unusual chance to get to spend thousands and thousands of hours watching people uh, send emotions back and forth and watching micro expressions bloom on the face. And I think the seminal moment in that period of my life kind of came when I saw that uh, when you point a camera at somebody and then they know that you're pointing it at them, their emotions die instantly. And they do this thing called the fake smile. (laughs) And we almost all do it. And it's really weird when you think about it because (laughs) everybody hates the feeling of fake smiling. And actually most people hate getting their picture taken, but we do this weird smile where some of the muscles in our face move that do when it's a real smile, but not all of them. And it's actually (laughs) more of a mask. It's a protection instinct. Um, and most photographers you know, just deal with that and it's fine for them. But for me, it was shocking because I was feeling their emotions so strong. And then suddenly it just like a wall dropped. The emotion was gone. <laughs> and that bothered me. Yeah, it bothered me so much that I, I ended up figuring out how to solve that problem. So hmm. I created this technique called Superfeel that uh, photographers can use to draw real emotion out of out of people and even strangers just in seconds and it worked so well that it basically ended up uh, changing the entire industry and that was about 12 years ago now i guess and um, during that time i got privileged to get to travel the world and teach the method and create the method and train other people in it and at this point, it's, it's reached somewhere around 112 million people. So wow. um, watching all that happen was the journey of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I learned so much about human emotion and how it's created and why we create it that it just kind of gave me this really unusual insight into this aspect of human existence that is very core to us but is very hard to talk about mm-hmm. and is is not really something that we generally focus on and i basically used all the money that i made from that to build this this project of mind kindred which is basically an exploration of what if we could feel things on purpose what if we could use our emotions like we use our hands Mm-hmm. creatively to to build and to connect rather than to um, just be these random elements that sometimes help and sometimes you know hurt us right yeah wow i have a whole bunch of questions now that's uh <laughs> that's a lot of depth. no no no, no. It's so, 
<laughs> so hard to make it short. I mean, that no, was really fine. short, actually. We had a friend uh, a couple of weeks ago, a therapist. He went for about 20 minutes explaining his thing. He went much less. And he's, his was fine, too. I just Whatever we need to do to explain where we're coming from uh, okay. is, is just fine. <laughs> okay. and, and it's about giving that emotional air to breathe, too. I know Stephen Covey used to talk about giving emotional air when you communicate with people. One of his mm. seven habits was seek first to understand, then to be understood. And wow. uh, in any case, yeah, we could delve into that too, and maybe we will a little bit. But so were you, uh, when you talk about this emotion or this fake emotion on the camera, it reminds me my dad used to, uh, <laughs> we'd take this picture. Sorry, dad, if he's listening. Uh, <laughs> when we take pictures, he would say, uh, he would say, smile, smile. He'd like kind of yell at us. They'd be like, show your right. teeth. It was kind of like this right. added extreme version of show your teeth. And we had these kind of, sometimes I yes. would go just almost look like a psycho clown with showing my teeth <laughs> like an, an idiot. But uh, yeah, people do that family photos. Oh, I'm familiar. Yeah. You must be more than anybody to be honest. I am. I am. <laughs> so in any case, and on that note of family being isolated, <laughs> were you, were you an only child as well? I I have a sister who shared the experience with me, but oh, okay. just for whatever reason, you know, we we were just different, and so yeah. when we were really young, we we you know were a little bit closer, but as we grew up, we just kind of went different paths. Mm-hmm. I yeah, well, that happens with siblings. I've got two older brothers myself. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. That's an interesting uh, story. And, and you mentioned LA. I lived in LA too. So, uh, and are you living in London now? I don't mean to jump all over the map, you know, pardon the pun, but uh, <laughs> are you living I'm there now or a, just visiting? Kind of a world, a world citizen. I, I travel so often that I'm basically just, I live wherever I am for the time. And That's awesome. Yeah, it's not bad. I, we um, <laughs> are in this stage you know, I told you I kind of went through this really unique process of getting to invent something and then figure out how to how to teach it to other people and then got to travel the world to kind of set up this organization to help spread it. That wow. ends up being that that was just uh, almost like a practice run for what I'm doing now because as as big as that other thing was, it was still in a very tiny industry. And mm. kindred meditation is uh, it's kind of a modern form of, of meditation that in some ways is, uh, you could say it's like an evolution of some of the classic forms. And it's way simpler and it's way faster um, th- than a lot, of, a lot of the traditional forms for most people. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think it has a really good chance of, of uh, being accepted, being yeah. um, accessible to a much larger percentage of the world than has ever been able to because we're, we're pretty clear at this point that meditation is good for us. It's just really hard for a lot of us. And yeah, yeah I got to study why and I basically, yeah. So at this point now I'm kind of doing version 2.0 of my first uh, adventure on just a much larger scale. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I think I can speak for most people I know that we would all love to do that, to just travel and be a, a world citizen <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to see and do in culture and history. And oh, my God, so much. All over the world. I've been a few places, but probably not anywhere near 
sounds like where you've been. And I certainly haven't even been across the pond over to, uh, as they say, over to London. And a lot of my family history is from there too, but oh, really? from England and stuff. But yeah, we won't delve into all that probably. But I, uh, in any case, that sounds amazing. I, I wonder this kindred meditation, does it somehow correlate with what you were doing with this uh, super feel that you mentioned for yes. bringing feelings out and, and how so? 100%. Hundred percent. Well, it, I mean, I never would have guessed that I would have ended up here, you know. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about life. It's just the grand mystery of it all. And I think when when people talk about the great people, you know, all it really is is that they went far. I think all humans are capable of movement, and we all have different directions we can go. And if you just go far enough, you're going to find really interesting things. And what you find is going to change you. And those changes that get made to you uh, make you uh, valuable to the other people around you that didn't have those same experiences. Mm-hmm. And so I was just very lonely. And so that made me obsessed with understanding what loneliness is and what feelings are and why we connect and why, why you know, what all of that is. And as I said, uh, having this unique kind of vantage point of, working in an industry that was really about capturing emotion, which there really isn't any other industry exactly like that. Um, And for years I got to do that at a very high level Mm -hmm. with cultures from all around the world. So I got really interested in why did people feel amazing feelings sometimes and why not others? Because the funny thing is, is that every feeling you've ever felt in your entire life, was generated by your own brain. So your feelings are just as much you as any other body part is. You could even describe feelings as a, as a body part, but we generally don't think of our feelings like that. We generally think of them like a weather system that we have nothing to do with. Sometimes we're happy, sometimes we're sad, and then we have these vague ideas that if we do certain things and get a self-help book, then like maybe I'll be happy for sometimes. But the truth is that's been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And still the percentage of the world that is out of the control of their emotions seems about the same as it ever was, mm. if not even a little bit worse right now. Sure. And there's, there's reasons for that, you know, that I, I could go really, really deep into, but the, the part that kind of ended up standing out to me, one of the seminal moments for me in this journey was being at a, at a wedding. And at the time I was in Northern Canada and I was working with these oil workers and oil workers in Canada are very, very tough men. <laughs> I think oil workers in pretty much any place are tough, but these guys were doing a very demanding hard job with long hours, dangerous in minus 30 weather sometimes. You know, so these were a very special kind of breed. And most of these people would not consider themselves artistic. They would not consider themselves creative or in touch with their emotions or anything like that. And yet these people on the wedding day, their brother would be getting married and, or they would, and the other would stand up and give this speech. And in this speech, he would talk about what this person means to him. And, you know, thanks so much for being there for me when 
when, you know, dad left and you're always going to be my brother. And then he would start, you know, breaking down and crying. And the entire audience would be moved to tears by this person's speech. And for me, I was like, how can this guy who is not a person who gives speeches for a living, who is not an artist, who is quote unquote, not even in touch with his emotions. How come on this day, in this moment, he suddenly becomes a great orator, moving everyone to tears? Because you have to have an incredibly high level of craft as a speaker to move people to to tears. It's not easy to do. And yet this person on this particular moment completely subconsciously assumes this form inside of himself that does it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And for, for him, it's like a once in a lifetime moment. But for me, it was a Saturday because I saw it yeah. every single Saturday again and again. And I was like, what is it about this Saturday to him <laughs> that, that makes this possible? Yeah. And I started wondering, like, there must be environmental cues. There must be ingredients of this moment that are signaling this reaction from him that allows him access to this place that clearly anybody has access to potentially or or almost anybody. Mm -hmm. And I started wondering if you could isolate the ingredients of a good moment, would it be possible to build a good moment on purpose? Mm -hmm. And that's basically what started Superfeel is I started studying what were the elements in all of the beautiful moments I had seen. I basically started studying beautiful moments and I started collecting all of these ingredients about them and um, came up with thousands of different variations of basically what I would call micro environments that invite people into these, these beautiful moments. And from that technique, I was able to create the system superfeel, which I mentioned, which when photographers use it on on uh, people that they photograph yes you get amazing pictures of people having really beautiful moments but there was something way better than the picture and that was they were having a beautiful moment and these beautiful moments were so amazing sometimes that actually quite regularly i would get emails from the people i worked with the next day saying that was one of the favorite nights of our our relationship or um like when they did the shoot with me, like an engagement shoot or something, or we fell in love again last night, or that was the best two hours of my life. Like very dramatic, dramatic things being said again and again and again. And this capacity to create these stunning rushes of emotion, um, the, the body and the brain are capable of that at any moment because whatever would cause that for you if it happened right now, you would suddenly do it. And for some people, it's, you know, who knows, getting a huge job promotion or someone they've loved for a long time suddenly decides they're the person that they want to be with or making a million dollars. I don't know, whatever, whatever it is for somebody, the second that that happens, the person instantly will go into this release of emotion. Yeah. But the amazing thing is, what if you think that it happens, but it doesn't? you would have the exact same release of emotion. What if you, you get this call and it's like, you've won a million dollars. And it's like, really? Yes, really? Yes. Wah! And then he starts screaming. That's like, oh, sorry, that was the wrong number. Not the right person. <laughs> 
So all that basically to say that the emotions themselves are not actually tied to circumstance. They're tied to our interpretation of the circumstance. And interpretation is a completely internal process, which means that all feelings are completely self-generated, even if they do have cultural and contextual cues. And what I got really interested in with Superfeel was, you know, um, helping photographers to understand uh, micro environments that were, were more likely to help people access those feelings. But with Kindred, it went to a whole deeper level, which was, what if you could learn to practice having specific feelings? And what if you could feel whatever you wanted to feel basically at, at will? Mm. And wow. that opened up an entirely fascinating field of exploration. I'm so obsessed with it. I, I dream about it. In my dreams, I'm giving talks about it, and I'll say something new that I've never said before, so I wake myself up and, <laughs> and write it down. Like I'm pretty far gone in that direction. But the overall kind of question for me at this point is what I kind of mentioned, which was that uh, the conscious use of the hands is basically one of the main differences between us and the other animals because it was responsible for articulate use of instruments. Mm. And you, if you take conscious use of the hands out of the picture, our culture goes back like, you know, uh, probably a million years or something like that. <laughs> so, and, but we're not always masters of our hands. Babies aren't. Babies' hands they don't even know that their hands are their hands. And then there comes this moment where they realize, oh my God, this is me. This, this, these things are mine. Yeah. They see them as an extension of their will. And once a baby sees their hands as an extension of their will, that's the day the power in the human life really begins. And I believe that a culture that grew from conscious, articulate use of the feelings would look as different from this present one as this one would look without conscious articulate use of the hands. Mm. Wow. That is all really, really fascinating and ultra deep. I can't, <laughs> I can't say enough about it. And I don't, and I don't mean that in any sort of like distancing condescending way. Like I feel it as you're talking and I feel the depth of what cool. you're saying and feeling is what we're talking about here. Uh, exactly. Emotion. I heard somebody say the word emotion is is like saying energy and motion, and mm. also also it's uh, it's interesting to me that you're telling me these people would send you these emails. This is the best night of this or that or relationship. Mm-hmm. We fell back in love. All these things that you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that underscores kind of a, another part of this that a lot of our lives, a lot of us, tend to be kind of uh, living a little bit as zombies, a little bit like we need to wake yes. up to the depth of what we really are and our true selves. 100%. And when we do, that's when those moments happen. It sounds like, am I correct? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think of it in terms of the law of attraction and I'm sorry if I cut you off. It's just, no. we'll use this term, the law of attraction, kind of throw it around. There's books and movies and all these things mm-hmm. about it. But uh, is there something to all that? Because one of the things you talked about that kind of conjured this thought in my mind is, you can have these emotions, you can trigger them with or without 
real external stimulus. And so people who teach this law of attraction stuff will say that your mind doesn't know the difference between your imagination and and uh, reality. Like if you imagine the winning a million dollars or the all these other various mm-hmm. maybe things would be amazing for a lot of people, you can still feel all that and and then thereby attract these things into your world by being in that so-called frequency. Uh, what is your take on all that? And sorry if I cut you off yet another thought as well on, on some of the yeah. other stuff. Please cut in any time. I, I can literally just talk for years. So <laughs> uh, my personal take on that particular um, very popular notion is it, it reminds me of when I was 16, I was very lucky to get to meet this incredible poet. And his name was Patrick. And uh, as I told you, I was a weird kid, you know. And so I was at this poetry reading way in the north in Canada. And everybody else there was in their 30s, 40s and up. And it was just me. I was the only kid there. And he got up in front of this group. And uh, he had been flown in by the Canadian government. Something I'm very thankful for to them is they're very supportive of the arts, which I think mm-hmm. is really cool. And he was wild. He was just a wild man. <laughs> and he was so weird, but it was so beautiful. And he just blew all these people away, including myself. But I was in that audience and I was like, he, something like him is something like me, except he knows how to do it in a way that all these people understand. Because the, the tragedy, you know, of my teenage angsty years was that no girl would ever like me. They didn't understand. They didn't see me. I was too weird, you know? And so at that point I was really trying to figure out how do you get other people to like you? How do you get other people to, to be able to connect? Because as I said, I just didn't have a lot of those normal social cues and my over eagerness for it just made it (laughs) even worse, unfortunately. Well, it turns out pretty fortunate because the weirdo that I was has led me to become the weirdo that I am now, which I'm very thankful for. But anyways, meeting Patrick was huge for me. And afterwards I went up to him and I got, you know, this couple minutes to talk to him and I couldn't even get the words out, but I was just like, how did you, what did you, who did how do, you know, I was trying to ask him, how, how do I get to be like you? And when you're a person like that, which I ended up getting to see for myself later, uh, people come up to you and they want you to tell them, you know, the steps, like they, they want what you have, what you seem to have. And they, they think you have it and they don't, and they want it. And that was me in that moment. And I asked him, you know, what, what do I need to do? And he looks at me with these really intense eyes, very like high gravitas moment. And he says, follow your heart. And I wrote it down in my journal because I used to keep this journal with me everywhere that I went. And I wrote it down. I was really excited. And I was like, yeah. And then I went home later that night and I looked at the journal. <laughs> I was like, what the heck does that mean? I literally have no idea what that even means. So I actually think it's like that with a lot of the the quote-unquote wisdoms of the world. It's like if you know what follow your heart means, it's an insanely wise, stunning statement. And if you don't know what it means, 
it's kind of like a meme that you post on Instagram. You know, it's just like, be the change <laughs> yeah. you want to see in the world. Yeah. You know, great. So I honestly think it's a little bit similar with that, with the whole secret and law of attraction thing, because I really do think there is something to that. But a lot of times that I hear people talk about it, it's like sit on your couch and imagine that there's a boat coming towards you. And if you just do that long enough, a boat will show up in your living room. And <laughs> my experience of that has just not been the case. I, I do think you got to fire up that imagination. And I do think you got to leave space for your dreams and really fuel them. But I think that's half of it. I think the other half is getting up and being a person in the world, using your body to go after and, and chase the things that, that you love and explore. And along the way, you give yourself opportunities to, to run into a boat. Uh, this person who was a deep mentor to me used to say, pray for a good life and then live the life you have prayed for. Mm -hmm. Talking about two halves of something that, that really is a, is a whole process. And honestly, I think if the secret did work in the way that some people talk about it, people would love it for the first like three months and then they would get so sick of it that they would just be bored to death because they would be on their couch and they would be like, boat, boat, yeah, candy, candy, yeah, perfect partner, yeah. How long does that stay interesting? You know, it, it's almost like reading the last page of a book. And I, I really think that it's, it's the whole context of, of the, this, the exploration and, and the near finding and then the missing and then the getting and then the losing and then, you know, the, the discovery that that wasn't the thing you actually wanted in the first place and then the humbling experience and mm -hmm. then the opening. It's this dance, which to me goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning about this river. You know, this, if you look at life, it's, it's a constant motion. Everything is in constant motion. And so part of what I, I really admire and respect about people that are, are very ambitious, even if, you know, we don't share all of the same uh, values or anything like that, is at least there's this drive to go out and try and, and make something happen. And I think that in my experience, it's, it's out there on your way that you find yourself, that you find what's really interesting to you. But there's just so many people that really haven't even started that journey for so many reasons. They're, they're scared. They're, they're you know, deeply entrenched to the familiar. And the deep sense of loneliness that I feel in the world, the deep sense of, uh, you know, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. And it's often pointed outwards at, at other people and governments and leaders and all of those things. And I get we have a lot to improve on all of those things. But when you look at just how big the world is, <laughs> how big it is, and how much there is to learn and explore and see and feel. Mm -hmm. If you're ever feeling stuck for any reason, it's just because you're not actually seeing everything that's really there to be seen because there's just so many choices constantly all around us in every yeah. single direction. Yeah, no, it's a true story. I, 
appreciate the uh, depth of explanation there. That's a lot. And I, it occurs to me as you're talking, it's kind of a differentiation, let's say, between the external and the internal. And a lot of us are so focused on this external. There's, there's much bigger depth to our journey than just like, the, you know, the analogy of just having a boat appear in your living room kind of thing. Uh, and I had a therapist myself some time back who uh, mm-hmm. was real into meditation and mindfulness and stuff as well and kind of opened me up to some of these things. And uh, cool. one of the things that he said was that he, and he shared a quote from somebody else that was the one you seek, you know, externally, uh, the one you seek is the one seeking. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of this full circle thing. In other words, externally seeking or something, whether that be God and all these uh, things, when it gets down to it at its core, and even on a religious level, it, it comes down to you. You as the individual it comes down to me. Yes, uh, so the one you seek is the one seeking. And so we have to embrace this individual internal, let's say, journey as well. All this stuff just occurs to me as you're, as you're talking. Um, oh, definitely. But there, there's a lot to all that. And, and when you talk about um, building a good moment on purpose, ingredients. I think mm-hmm. we can all relate to that. Most of us have cooked at some point in our lives. I used to work at the Waffle House. I knew how to make the waffles and the eggs and the grits yes. <laughs> when I was a teenager. Uh, but how do, how do we formulate those ingredients or do you have like any technique with that? And also as a footnote to that question, why are people out of touch with their emotions? I know you said there's a really deep answer to that, but maybe a paraphrased or summarized answer how do we form those moments and why are so many of us out of touch (laughs) that's yeah that's beautiful that that really is the central exploration of the kindred uh, meditation practice because one of the biggest things i learned about emotions my study of it is that emotions were inherently communal and Mm. that is not the way that they are thought of a lot of the time but when you look at the evolutionary purpose of emotions um, especially our ability to express emotions through our body. What you basically find is that emotions were used as an uh, evolutionary advantage to create a kind of a, almost like a ancient Bluetooth network between all of uh, humans in a, in a pack. So let's say that there's 30 people traveling through a jungle or something like that. And you've got somebody over on the, the left and with their eyes pointed in the direction that they're looking, they see a flash of orange and black, which they think might be a tiger. So they get afraid and they, they vocalize, this is even pre-language, they vocalize a sound that is an expression of that energy of fear. And somebody all the way on the other side that, whose eyes would never have been pointed in that direction, they hear that sound and respond instantly by running, by tensing, by getting ready to fight, even though their senses were not the ones that, uh, that initially picked that up. Mm-hmm. And you can have the opposite effect of that too, where somebody else, maybe the person on the right, sees a berry bush. And they exclaim in a different way, uh, a a sound of excitement. And so everybody comes over and is able to benefit from that. So one of the core pieces of emotions and the the purpose that they serve is that they connect us to everyone else. 
And one of the biggest problems we have right now is something called emotional regulation. And that is the thing I was telling you about, about having these emotions that do not help us and we don't know what to do about them. So we've come up with all kinds of coping mechanisms to try to deal with these emotions. And in fact, when you really look down at the base of it and what's causing it, uh, a lot of commerce is actually built around emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Something like, I won't name any brands, but there's a lot of foods you can think of that mm-hmm. are absolutely of no value to our body. And yet they're consumed in huge, scarily huge proportions. And the, the reason why is because of the way that they make us feel, the, the hormones that they release in our, in our brain. It's just kind of a hijacking of that ancient, I just sound a berry bush feeling, actually. Um, and something even like Netflix, which I heard recently and was astounded by, is bigger than Disney. Netflix is bigger than Disney, and Disney is one of the you know, most famous companies in the world, and it's been around for so long, and it, it owns Marvel and Star Wars and all these huge things. Netflix is bigger than Disney. It's crazy. Wow. And it just shows, like, how did they get so good so fast? Because the main thing they do for people is emotionally regulate people. Mm. People yeah. aren't feeling good, and so they sit down and they watch – Steve Carell, you know, and then every, everything's better for a second. Yeah, no kidding. It's, it's kind of this escapism in our society, I think globally in different ways, where certain cultures, countries, and uh, peoples have kind of different ways of doing it. But at the, at the end of the day, so to speak, it's kind of the same the same thing, whether exactly. it's you know, a lot of things you speak of or, or you know, drugs, food, sex, TV, like Netflix. Yep. Uh, yep. it's, it's trying to get to a, a feeling and then it begs the question, what is, are we trying to escape from and, or what are we chasing? It's, it's almost like we're either escaping and or chasing something at the same time. And when you're doing Both, something yes. like, like drugs or improper use of things like, you know, sex, TV and mm-hmm. food, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's an imbalance mm-hmm. that takes place. How do we get back in tune and, and how do we figure out what we're, what we're trying to escape from and or or chase jesh <laughs> well again that's that's been the the fascination of of my life and one of the biggest keys that i learned uh, that is a big core component of, of kindred is that if we go back to the way that emotions developed we have to remember that this world we're living in now is incredibly new mm-hmm. there's been such major, major changes to lifestyles that have happened over the last hundred years, let alone, you know, a few thousand years. And biology just does not move that fast. It's on a completely different scale. So our, our minds and the beautiful capabilities they have of introducing new concepts and creating new environments, just to reference that environment thing, because I've mentioned it a few times, uh, I could go quite into a deep uh, exploration of how that from the way I see them, people are not a specific thing so much as they are a response to an environment. And I know that can maybe be a little bit of a deep concept, but it's pretty important to understand uh, in terms of this conversation because it's one of the key things people don't understand about themselves, in my opinion, is they'll think they're a certain kind of person 
and they like this and they don't like this and they have these habits and they, they don't have these other ones. But the reason why they think that they're the, that is because they have this quote unquote proof of many memories like that. But the, the factor that they forget is that they will tend to seek out extremely similar situations again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And so if you keep seeking out very similar environments, you're probably going to have very similar reactions to those environments. And the more that you do that, you will accumulate more and more memories, which seem to be proof that you are a certain way. Mm-hmm. But my experiences, um, such as the one I mentioned with this person who was at the wedding, prove that in a different circumstance, potentially you would become a very different version of yourself. And it's that capacity to access these different versions of ourselves and pull out ones that are the most beneficial or relevant. And uh, that, that is a thing of very great power and is basically the prime story of all hero stories that have ever been told in, in any culture. Very rarely is there just a hero and nothing can ever hurt him and then nothing ever does hurt him and then that's the end. Mm-hmm. It's, it's usually more of this thing of like, there's a short fellow with big feet and he's very hairy and no one would have expected him to be able to do anything. <laughs> and then, you know, he ends up dropping the ring <laughs> yeah. and, and destroying it. Like he goes on this hero's journey And what is the hero's journey? It's about change. It's about finding this piece of yourself in the middle of conflict and rising up to become something that that you weren't before. Even the classic tale of, you know, the dragon coming to terrorize the town. Everybody runs except for one person. And this person was usually, you know, a poor boy or something or a poor girl. And then they do the odd choice and the odd choices would instead of run from it to actually go, go towards that. So what you have is a lot of people out there who are very familiar with where their dragons are and keep running away from them, which is the normal instinct. And you can't even blame them for that. But if a person really wants to change, it's never going to be in running away from the dragon. There's no stories about the boy who was the poor boy and the dragon came and he ran from the dragon. And then as he ran, he changed into this incredible person. (laughs) That's not the story. The story is always about face the fears, face the thing that terrifies you, face the thing that hurts you. And as you face that, you, you know, you change. So linking that back to what we were talking about, the other piece there that was really big is that, when we were in these 30 group tribes, 30 person tribes, we didn't need to regulate our own emotions because we had 30 other people to do it for us at any given second. And if one or two or five of them didn't want to, you'd still have 25. Like we lived in very, very close knit groups. And every single night around the fire, people would share their emotions through stories, through dance, through bodily movement. And you add to that that we were nomads for 99.9% of our existence as a species. It is only in this last 0.1% that we have become stunningly sedentary, like stunningly. The body was just not built for that. And the emotional system and the body are incredibly connected, way more than people would even even dream to realize. So 
what what kindred kind of does that's really makes it so special is it brings back the the other person the, the tribe it brings back the tribe in this emotional regulation so you actually are are with another person in in early stages of this and you can even do it in late stages but it's uh, it's called kindred in part because it that means family mm-hmm. and it's about recognizing that the other person for instance a big part of the uh, kindred is something called attunement and attunement is when emotion is shared between two people and the most probably recognizable version of that would be when a mother is trying to calm a baby the baby is upset the mother puts her face directly in front of the other baby's face and goes and the baby starts smiling and even you just hearing me make that noise start start smiling <laughs> yeah. that's how deep that is in us and so what just happened to you was actually emotional regulation and you and i aren't even looking at each other right now yeah. so interestingly that's also what steve carell is doing on the office he's emotionally regulating us so we we rely in early stages of life at, um on the mother the quote unquote mother to mm-hmm. regulate our emotions and mm-hmm. when we were in tribes constantly having people we had several mothers we didn't even know who was our mother a lot of the time everybody's willing to to pitch in on that when needed nowadays that tribe has become almost completely dismantled and you have all of these people out there who are living very sedentary lives which deeply disconnects them uh from their mo- their ability to access and share emotion they have very disconnected lives where people are on their phones constantly they're watching television they're obsessed with you know these work goals that they have i'm not putting any of those things down i'm just saying that none of those are connective processes at all and what you do get from things like netflix is this one way this it's almost like half of it mm-hmm. so you're getting steve carell regulating you The problem is you're not regulating him back so the circuit isn't complete <laughs> and what happens when a mother's doing that to the baby is very different because the mother goes bah, 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 and the baby has this stunning smile bloom back and when the mother sees that stunning smile the baby has this feeling of I'm doing something good I'm doing something meaningful and that to me from my perspective is the main thing that's missing for so many people in the world is they really don't understand their own value because they don't they're not in situations a lot of the time where they get to be the one sending the regulation of the emotions back mm. and that circuit that forms between two people is so important to our biology because it was so key in those 30 person tribes that if you didn't get along with everybody else you got kicked out of the tribe and if you got kicked out of the tribe that was basically certain death because our strength as a species is in our ability to collaborate and so people you know me against a tiger i'm not going to do really well probably yeah, yeah. but but 30 of us against a tiger you know we we have a good chance so in this day and age where people are so disconnected where they're not getting that biological signal to be able to express 
what's happening is people are getting low-level signals subconsciously that they're about to get kicked out of the tribe, that something is very wrong, this is very dangerous. And instead of uh, really facing that and fixing that, mostly because people have no idea even how to attempt to do that, the commercial world has stepped in and offered all of these uh, all of these sugar water type of responses, which which they ease hunger, but they don't add nutrition. So it's it's a lot like the um, the candy, and as a result of that, your body keeps changing in a way that becomes more and more difficult for you to actually get the thing that that you really need. Mm. So in kindred, Goodness. the I hope I'm not going off too far. No, no, no. It's fine. Explain it. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> so with, with Kindred, what we're really doing is uh, you sit across from somebody and they're the sender and you're the receiver, which is like the mother and the child. And they send a specific emotion to you, like something simple, like peace or joy. That's the easy version. You can get very sophisticated too, but let's just say that peace or joy. And then using the mirror neuron system, which is the thing that you just used subconsciously to laugh when I was making that noise. Mm -hmm. The mirror neuron system is what, how smiles pass between strangers or, or loved ones. It's how yawns pass. The mirror neuron system is the piece of us that, that has empathy and tells or guesses what the other person is thinking and then generates a similar signal. And as I said, it has its roots in our ability to survive. Um, because it allows your feelings and emotions to be able to pass into me and to affect my body and vice versa. So this person is asked for, for two minutes to send me peace. And then I receive that, and then we switch. And then now I'm, I'm the sender, and they're the receiver. And then I send it back. And we do that in a full rotation. It takes four minutes. And something called emotional escalation happens, which is amazing. Emotional escalation you'd probably be familiar with in arguments where someone <laughs> is not feeling very well, you know, a partner, and they just say something a little bit, you know, just a little nasty, just na 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 And someone's like, na 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 And someone's like, na 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 And then it just <laughs> escalates to this part where people are throwing pots. That's emotional escalation. <laughs> and it's kind of like a feedback loop of emotion. Humans have the ability to share an emotion and amplify it and share it back. So kindred is like the opposite of an argument. You're taking a beautiful emotion and you're sharing it in this very simple way. We have a very simple method for that. And as you share it, it uses your body system, it uses nonverbal communication. The bodies are extraordinarily good at this. And I have seen this tens of thousands of times at this point, complete strangers, within minutes completely regulate each other's emotions and you can actually get high doing it. Mm -hmm. You can get to these deep ecstatic states, altered states of consciousness, only sitting across from somebody that you don't even know. Wow. That's uh, that's really fascinating. I, and it, it makes sense. Like it rings true to me what you're saying about, because at the end of the day, all of us people, whether we quote unquote know each other or not, we're connected. We are one. I mean, just the fact exactly. this may sound it may sound a little crass or something to say this, but just the fact that any of us 
could reproduce with any of the other who are fertile of the opposite sex. I think yes. volumes to the <laughs> connectivity between people just that. So true. You know, and, and, and I don't want to take that some kind of crazy realm that no. some people might think, but it's, uh, it's, it's a fact. Like someone I don't know in India could have my baby and vice versa. Have, mm-hmm. you know, we'd be parents together. And that's just one of, I don't know, infinite layers of how we're really connected. And yet here in the West, don't we do this thing a lot of times in a lot of places in the world too, where literally and figuratively we're building walls uh, mm-hmm. to isolate ourselves. Yes. It's interesting how you bring this up because last night I put out a video, <laughs> which was, it's about two minute kind of excerpt from a podcast. I don't know, about a month mm-hmm. ago, a guy named Bob Wheeler, um, <clears throat> where he was talking about going to Tanzania and everything you're saying rings exactly true with this video that we put out that uh, he talked about going there and just being surprised that all these people can uh, connect and be so loving and kind and and happy you know all caps happy more than anything they don't have technology they don't have nice cars they live in as he put it they live in huts made out of leaves and they'll give you the shirt off their back their last coca-cola all these things that he talks about that we put in this video um and yet they're just happy and again what i just said about how we isolate ourselves a lot of times and you know, there's enough money and land to go hide <laughs> from mm-hmm. trying to connect. So people are overwhelmed. Maybe it's, it's an uncomfortable idea to try to connect. And, and why is that? You know, I'm observing in light of a lot of, cause you've got into a lot of real depth there. Why are, why is it our tendency or is it just, that's what we're used to. That's what our society has ingrained in us. We are mm-hmm. a product of our environment. Like you said, why, why are so many so uncomfortable? Why did it ever happen? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great question. And my, my take on that is that you look at that, that African tribe that he just mentioned, and it sounds like there's a lot of emotional regulation happening there on a regular basis. And you would be surprised, maybe you wouldn't, but a, a normal person perhaps would be surprised at how easy emotional regulation is. Yeah. Because just to take a quick tangent, you grow up in, in most societies these days, and you're told, you know, that to find joy, you have to be successful, you have to get a great partner, you have to, you know, win awards, you have to have a lot of money. Babies have none of those things. <laughs> they true. literally have none of them. And they are, as a segment of the population, wildly more joyful than, than everybody <laughs> else. Wildly. And they have no awards and they have no Instagram followers and they have nothing like that. So this whole idea that this state that we're born into the world with of this joy, somehow we get that having to accumulate these things that we never had when we first had the joy. It's it's completely preposterous. So whatever joy is, it certainly is not dependent upon any of those things. And why the society has kind of ended up in the way that it has going back to that, you know, tribe is, the great advantage that that tribe has is everybody's emotional regulating each other. The disadvantage, it sounds like, is that there might not be enough room for individual expression that advances in technologies can, can happen. So what kind of happened in the, in the West with these ideas of capitalism and all of this kind of stuff is certain people realized that if they got really, really good at something, and then somebody else got really, really good at something else. And neither of them had to be really 
good at the other person's thing. And then other people started realizing, oh, wow, I can be really good at organizing people. And so I'm going to put all of these people here that I'm going to take a profit from their work. And then we started creating all of these massive systems that basically <laughs> make everything very efficient. And the left brain really started rising in power. And the left brain is it's, it's judgment, it's, it's memory, it's reference, it's uh, what people usually think of as an intelligence. It's knowledge, you know, and in, in a society like, I mean, I don't know the specific details of what this person's story was about, but in my mind, the society I'm imagining, it's, it's less of a society that's focused on accumulation of knowledge and more on a right brain focus, which would be of, of well-being in the community. Mm -hmm. And I think both of those are right. I don't think one is right and one is wrong. But what's going to happen is that they each have extremes. And for instance, let's say, um, you know, uh, on one extreme, something really negative could happen to the water system in, in, in an African village or in some indigenous culture. And they might not even understand it or understand why, because they haven't uh, spent the time as individuals to promote someone to a level of such expertise to be able to understand how to use or create an advanced tool to, you know, see if there's microbes in there that are unhealthy. But then we have the opposite extreme of that and the tribe could be damaged by that. But then you have the opposite extreme of we've got somebody over in Europe or America somewhere, a whole team, like a whole basically <laughs> building of scientists that have more people than the people in that tribe who are highly technical and advanced and all or many of them incredibly lonely and bitter <laughs> and they mm -hmm. could save themselves from a water problem, but they hate their life. And of course I'm using two extremes here, but what I'm basically saying is I think the mix of both is really what's the most powerful. Yeah. And to be able to have the time alone that we have now, myself, for instance, I spend an incredible amount of time alone. And there's no way I could have reached the levels of expertise I have on some of these, these subjects I'm interested in if most of my day was having to haul water or, or you know, cut, cut corn or whatever was going to be my job in a 30-person tribe. Yeah. I'm only able to do this because even right now as we're talking, you and I are benefiting from the expertise of probably hundreds of thousands of engineers who have... <laughs> come together to build the technology yeah. to beam my words to a satellite spinning around the earth and then back down to you instantly using plastics and metals that were mined from different places in the world and oh, yeah. and people who were in charge of the, the trucking companies that shipped the plastics to the manufacturing plant. I mean, you start looking at all of the people who are actually present with us, you and I right now, even though we <laughs> seem to be alone, we're not actually alone. We have a tribe yeah. of, of maybe millions with us. It's just that you can't see them. That's amazing. And the, the huge proliferation of that, as you say, it's, it's nothing short of phenomenal. It's, it's incredible that humans were able to do that. And technology has so many gorgeous, you know, things that come with it. But emotional regulation so far has not been one of them. Mm -hmm. And as we've gone deeper and deeper into these, these individualities, 
we've gotten farther and farther from our, our communal, inherently communal biology. And what kindred is really about is saying, we can create small cultural rituals that are kind of like pop-up tribe. You know, you, you meet this other person. Uh, we have an app we're building, for instance, and you, it's, a, it's like a, the world's first library of feelings. So you just pick what feeling you want to feel. And it's way easier for you to feel something that somebody else is already feeling mm -hmm. uh, because that's how emotional regulation works. It's way easier for you to cheer up your friend than it is for you to cheer up yourself. And that's because back in the 30-person tribe, everybody was cheering up everybody else, so they never had to learn how to, to cheer up themselves. Wow. The, the emotional regulation system is actually pointed out. It's not pointed in. That's why somebody holding you when you're crying feels so amazing. That's why somebody listening to you when you're, when you're hurting feels so good. And we can do that for others way easier than we can do it for ourselves. So Kindred is basically about setting up that scenario in temporary with no strings attached. You, you say, I want to feel um, peace right now. And it matches you live with someone else in the world who wants to feel the same feeling. They don't even have to speak your language because it's a nonverbal practice. You just see them on the video. You do the simple um, meditation. They do it back. You regulate each other's emotions. And in four minutes, I mean, you can go as long as you want, but in as little as four minutes, both of you have just basically been like a surrogate mother to the other emotionally, mm. and your feelings are fine now. And now go back to your science or, or whatever it is that you want to do. But it really is just bringing back the importance of um, this, this ability. Because the other thing that I really loved that you said was about how we're really actually so connected even though we all seem and feel so separate, we're so connected. And that's not even true on, you know, like a spiritual level. We all came from one cell. Like there was one cell at some point and it divided for some crazy reason. We have no idea why. And from that first division came every other piece of life that exists. So we are literally related biologically to every living thing. And this ability that humans have to enter into connections and, and pass emotions back and forth, pass intelligence back and forth, um, I call that friendship, like with a, a capital F. And that's what Kindred is really about, is about practicing this ability that humans have to enter into friendship. And it doesn't have to be a long thing even. It can be four minutes and you can never see the person again. But we've all kind of had that moment too, like on the street where someone is just having a beautiful day and they're listening to music and they're dancing or something and it just makes us smile. That's it. That's really all you need. You just need more of that. Yeah, well, that's amazing. So these people can connect uh, through uh, kindred and not even speak the same language uh, verbally necessarily, but we can speak... Uh, a very coherent language emotionally. And it's interesting, like you and I can connect and you're, I don't know, three or 4,000 miles away <laughs> right now. Yes, and here we are exactly. talking like we're in the same room almost and, right. uh, and connecting and, you know, and I, you know, speaking for myself and I think most of us can relate, it, it, we can create emotion and you and I haven't met before this uh, in right. 
you know, on a podcast or phone or in person. And yet we could still do that with each other here and, and create these feelings and create this kind of uh, cohesive oneness of a conversation and a topic. Exactly. And, and, and the, I like what you said at the beginning, like you could, you could talk for days about all kinds of these topics uh, or forever. And uh, th- that's true just because the depth of what it is, is what we are. I mean, and this vast universe full of mysteries too. And we, we share this speck of common ground, literally less than a speck in the vastness wow. of the universe that we ought to really, really hold in high esteem that reality instead of pushing each other away. <laughs> With skin so color true. and languages and all the differences aside, that's nothing compared to all the massive things we share as as one as as a human family i dare say the word family also with capital f <laughs> mm-hmm. 100% you're giving I, me chills you know what jesh and i think about we've talked about this in our podcast several times people listen to me regularly will be like oh here we go again we talk about the word joy uh, a friend of mine taught me long ago i talked about this in our first episode the word joy in hebrew literally means alignment and so it's wow more than just feeling. And, and, and I talk about this because I grew up as a musician. Musicians have to align and tune. We go back to Stephen Covey and his seven habits. The seventh habit is sharpen the saw, which can be that. You talk about sitting for four minutes with somebody in a room or across the world on a video screen uh, and being able to connect. And, and we could probably weed out all, the, all these things that weigh us down, the drugs and all the other things we turn to just to feel something in a moment that brings us back down, to just have that natural, you used the word high before, so I'll use it too, by just connecting with each other and overcoming these barriers that we've built in our society. And I'm just commenting, I'm just riffing here based on what you're That's saying. amazing. It's things out of me because uh, I feel it. Um, the, boy, we could go on and on. I, in the interest of a podcast, we don't usually go two to five hours, but we could. <laughs> I uh, did, before we close, though, Jesh, because there's just so much depth here. Um, and last week, in fact, we had someone on who's a medical doctor who talked about mm-hmm. transcendental meditation, and mm-hmm. which there's a lot of uh, what are the what's the word? There's a lot of mantras and things that use sounds without mm-hmm. meaning, but not without effect is what he said, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. In light of all these, I guess, various schools of thought on meditation, what exactly is this? Aside from what you've already explained about connecting with mm-hmm. people in a room or in a video screen, mm-hmm. uh, walk me through the, the technique uh, or you know any odds and ends of this that you'd like before we, we wrap up here. <laughs> sure. Well, it's easier seen than spoken about uh, because it's difficult to, to describe because it, it, it primarily doesn't use the thought system. So the, to make it very simple, the right brain has like the feeling system, you could say it's the body. And then the, the, what we think of the left brain is usually what we think of the mind. And that's, it's a metaphoric expression. It's not exactly the same as that, but just to make it simple. And um, the, left, the left brain, the mind has like thoughts. So Thoughts and feelings are both two forms of expression that are kind of like a masculine energy and a feminine energy. And kind of what we were saying before, too, with that, that tribe and that uh, corporate headquarters of scientists, it's a similar thing. It's like an embodiment of the feminine energy and an embodiment of the masculine energy. And kindred is really about respecting both sides of those. 
So um, as I was saying, uh, kindred is a lot about using feelings. And so the meditative practices, you need some kind of a doorway to get into the meditative states because basically what meditation is, is just certain parts of your brain are turned on and certain of them are turned off. And so often what's used as the door to get in that state is something like sitting still by yourself, closing your eyes and trying not to think, or watching your breath, or saying a mantra again and again. And for some people, those work. But for a lot of people, they find those things incredibly difficult to do. And uh, I was one of those people. Those ways just did not work for me very well. My brain is very active. I like to be moving. I'm not good at sitting still by myself for long periods of time, not thinking about anything. And um, as helpful as those other ways are for the people that they are, Kindred was really an exploration with, if, um, around what if meditation was fun? And what if you could do it with other people? <laughs> and so with Kindred, instead of thoughts, watching your thoughts or watching your breath, which are classically not very fun things to do, um, it's about exchanging feelings. And as I described in a lot of different ways in our talk today, the, the body is not only non-resistant to watching other people's feelings, it's obsessed with watching other people's feelings. So when your job of your body is to watch the feelings of this other person, receive them, mirror them, and send them back, the body doesn't, um, uh, not, doesn't only not struggle with that, it actually loves doing that. So we use feelings as the entry point into the meditative state. And we do that through very simple, uh, nonverbal, abstract movements of, of, the, of the hands primarily. The hands are deeply wired into the emotional system of the brain. So you'll notice like if you get really frustrated about something, usually people clench their fists or they'll bang something. Or if they just win a race or something like that, they'll lift both of their arms straight up into the sky. The hands have a really deep connection to the emotions. And even though it doesn't seem to make sense why that would be in the thought kind of a world, on a biological level, it, it has a ton of application. So even if you watch an animated speaker, their hands are often <laughs> moving in all of these different shapes as they're talking. Mine are doing it right now, actually, as I'm, as I'm speaking to you. Yeah. So we are basically using the body language system controlled by the right brain to abstractly express these specific emotions. And that's why I say it's kind of hard to talk about because that sounds complicated, but uh, in reality, it's one of the simplest things. It's so simple that you can learn the entire technique in 10 minutes. And we've had children mm -hmm. as young as four years old be able to do it. Um, oh. So, it's simple, it's very powerful, and my think, I think my favorite thing about it is it has endless permutations because your experiences in life have given you a, a repertoire of feelings and emotional intelligence that would be very difficult to articulate with words because words come from the thought system, but the feelings are, are all there in you. And kindred is like a language it's a nonverbal language of the right brain, basically merging with the left brain that allows you to mm -hmm. 
communicate this emotional intelligence. And why this works uh, so well and so quickly is because you have to remember human speech, as we know it, is incredibly new. And for millions of years, our ancestors, let's even just say like rabbits, which I know obviously aren't an ancestor, but let's just say a mother rabbit has to communicate something really important to a baby rabbit. She has no words to do that. So she does it entirely with her body. So mm. the animals that we've come from know an incredible amount about communicating very complex things. Uh, mostly you would call it emotional information though. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing, what's been amazing in my journey as, as I learned how to create this very simple system, it, it helps to shut down your left brain so that this much older million year older system of emotional transference has room to speak. And even though that might sound crazy, another example of this is look at what happens to people when they go on drugs or they, they do alcohol or something like that. As soon as those things happen, which primarily the, the jobs of those things are to silence the left brain. <laughs> so mm -hmm. as soon as the left brain is down, people start moving a lot, they dance, they get very expressive and they become very emotional. And what that just says is that that is actually the deep underlying need of the body all of the time. It just gets so repressed. It gets so repressed by the left brain system, which is why those things are so popular as, as you know, ways of uh, coping with, mm. with that. But Kindred allows you to learn how to consciously um, lower the strength of the left brain so that it comes into equilibrium with the right brain. And when the left and the right brains are balanced, you get this circuit. And the circuit is connection, which is, you know, what I was calling friendship. And you feel the circuit in your body. It's, it's when Martin Luther King is speaking and everybody is just riveted with that energy pouring through. That's friendship. That's the circuit. He wasn't saying, for instance, you know, he didn't say, I have an idea. <laughs> I think it, would, it never would have been a quote. He said, I, I have a dream. And dreams are things of feeling, not articulate, you know, thought. Mm -hmm. it's, he was mixing both in that moment, and he became this embodiment of both left and right brain. And that's what happens in, in all powerful performance. In music, like you're talking about, like we could talk so much about that. Mm -hmm. I love music, and it's a, it's a big part of the, the technique, too, is we listen to beautiful music while we're doing this. Uh, music is a huge way to help transfer emotion. Absolutely. So I, I'm sorry it's going on so long. I, I'm trying to say it's simple, but it's, it's just so huge. <laughs> yeah, well, nothing to be sorry for because there's a whole lot of truth and value here today. I, um, and on, in light of everything you're explaining, we will point out, and we'll have this in the intro as well, the website, Kindred, is the word kindred with dashes between all the letters, which I love by the way, cause it's almost symbolic of uh, all this interconnection uh, yes. being a somewhat artistic musician person myself. I can, I love that. I can embrace that. Hopefully everyone else can too, but the, the <laughs> point being what the substance is found there and you've probably scratched the surface, barely the tip of the iceberg of, of all of this. But uh, so there's that website kindred with dashes between all letters.com. And, uh, of course, you have a podcast with your friend Rasuli, you mentioned. Oh, yes. Uh, Wisdom of Madness, is that what it's called? 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you've got some other podcasts too. You and you said you're working on a book. <laughs> it's all good. And uh, <laughs> and that's great. That's great. I love it. Uh, I it sounds like you've got a lot to share and some very unique uh, life experience and perspective to pepper in there as well. Thank you, brother. Um, Thank you. Yeah, there's. Uh, Boy, I've, whenever I do a, a by the way, a podcast interview, and some people know this, I take notes. I've got literally oh, the old school pen and paper. And so I've got a page <laughs> just full of notes of everything we've talked about and things you've said and all kinds of stuff. So uh, cool. that speaks volumes to the depth of what we did here today. Um, so good. Find, uh, find Jesh Durocks at kindred.com with the dashes between the letters and, <laughs> and Wisdom of Madness <laughs> podcast. And uh, I hope we can continue to connect here. Uh, outside of the podcast, my friend. Uh, We're flattered you spend time with us for those listening and uh, grateful for you. And uh, until next time, my friends, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.